0: Listening to the Gator Sports Podcast,
1: brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. This is a USA Today Network Production. And your host, Graham Hall and David Whitley.
0: I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by my co-host, David Whitley. Good afternoon. And Good evening. we are going to recap, ladies and gentlemen, Florida's orange and blue game. The first one of the Billy Napier regime. I love that
1: word, regime. Regime. so regal. And we can go with the regime change we just had here.
0: Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Going from Dan Mullen to Napier, a lot of changes we've seen over the spring. That buzzword structure, player experience. We've heard them for 15 spring practices. And now we get to talk about the two-hour game that unfolded Thursday night in the Swamp. To recap, the Gators moved the game from Saturday to Thursday night to avoid the Easter weekend, the primetime showing was I think kind of I think it was a success. I
1: a qualified success, but uh you know, some people will look back and say, gosh, I missed the tradition of Saturday and making it like you know typical Florida weekend, Sweating Florida football weekend. Uh showing up with your with your R V and uh you know Camping out, you know, the night before six a.m. on the lawn. Yeah. yeah, that whole thing you can't do that with a with a Thursday night game. Yeah, but all in all, I think it was a nice change. And uh, you know, the ultimate uh, I think barometer would be how many people showed up. And you know, they they claim forty five thousand. I, you know, let's put it, I, if let me put it, if if I resume my concert pianist career and get paid per. Ticket or or per per uh, uh, supposed person in the seat. I don't, whoever estimated that crowd Friday night or thir- last Friday night to be that person, because I'll make a million dollars. You know, just <laughs> just because I think it was oh, what'd you say? Maybe thirty percent inflated.
0: I would probably say it was about thirty three percent inflated. I yeah. was thinking thirty thousand, and yeah. they were slow arriving. I think that is a Florida trend that Billy Napier. Would like to dissipate, go yeah. away here in Gainesville is the late arrival of students. They did eventually fill in pretty well. Yeah,
1: I it, it looked you know, it's funny. It started at 7th, about seven o'clock I looked around and said, Man, this is going to be a you know, laying an egg. Yeah. Because there are, you know, five thousand people there. I but, was worried too. But once it got going, you looked around and said, You know, this isn't bad. I mean, it was probably the bottom bowl was probably about two thirds full. And, you know, the ultimate uh, another ultimate gauge is were those recruits impressed? And I think if they went to that game, and, and you know, there's something about a, a nighttime atmosphere that beats a daytime, I think, you know, and the, and it's more of a, a party feel. And I think with the band and all that, that you know, recruits had to look around and say, yeah, this isn't bad, especially, I don't know what a lot of other teams uh, had because a lot of spring games this past Saturday, but I know Bama had like 20,000 or something. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it's Bama, but. I don't think this this uh, you know thinks, Oh gosh, things are bad in, on in Tuscaloosa. But you know they, when Nick first got there, Saban, it, it had ninety some thousand, and I think you know people are just sort of eh. You know show yeah. me something.
0: I think it only really really matters long term from a recruiting aspect. If you can't get recruits to campus, especially after to use the word again, a regime change when there's all this excitement in the building and people want to be there, there's no apathy. Mm-hmm. If you can't get recruits in the building, especially at a place like Florida, you, I think, are indicating that you're either doing something wrong or you're not putting in the effort that you should be putting in. And we know that Billy Napier has hit the ground running, so I was thinking there would be 250 recruits there, 200. There were apparently 350-plus recruits in the building. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw the line to get in when I'm walking up to the stadium, it was past the bull gator of people trying to get in there. parents, kids, and former players talking to staffers looking to get in the building. And I thought that was a really, really promising sign. Yeah, we, we went over some of the top recruits that were there. Cormani McLean, the number one cornerback in this class has the Gators near the top of his list. Aiden Mizell, Mpemba, all those names are on Gatorsports.com. But the amount of guys that they got on campus, the 2024 kids, I'm sure 2025 prospects, and then the 2023 prospects in this class, I thought that that was just the biggest success mm-hmm. long term for this team that you could yeah. glean from the weekend.
1: And that wouldn't have happened had it played on Saturday, because some of those guys would have no. been at the Georgia game, some would have been at the Alabama game, so, you know, at the Miami game. So, I mean, you know, in a way, it's easy. let's hit Gainesville on the way to, to Tuscaloosa or to Athens and just see what they have going.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. And those who did attend and made the decision to come out for a Thursday night game, whether they had to work the next day or they made the trip to Gainesville from somewhere nearby, got to see Anthony Richardson further grip a stranglehold. Let's call it that, on that starting quarterback job. I got to say, last year, we reported how it was, the two-quarterback system that Dan Mullen planned to use. It's so refreshing in a sense to see that Enabier hasn't said it, that Anthony Richardson really, really appears to be the number one quarterback moving forward after what he did. Completed 75% of his passes, had three touchdowns, one with on, with his legs. I just thought he looked so good on Thursday night. He made a couple bad throws I'm sure he would like to have back, but... Overall, you had to be really impressed with what the redshirt sophomore showed.
1: Yeah, he, you know, it, it's hard to, to gauge because the defense and way, there was no rushing or no blitzing and stuff like that. But that said, he was going against their number one defense, and the fact that they never they never stopped him. And I'm not saying him, of course, it was the team, but you could see the difference in that in that offense when he was in there versus everybody else. I mean, he he is obviously the MVP of this, or he, you know, whatever they do is going to ride. Right so much on his shoulders, and you 're right, he looked much more at ease and and back looking at, at his reads and stuff like that, confident in the ball you know just from a physical standpoint he 's obviously you know, uh, you know head and shoulders, but everybody else there that 's no knock on them he 's just that you know t- uh, gifted as an athlete and and people say if, if he can figure it out, you could see he 's figuring it out, and i don 't think anybody can come away from that game feeling you know gosh, you know. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't see him getting better. I'm worried. Blah blah blah. Now I think there's certainly certain something to get optimistic about and be optimistic, and something to build on. Al Summer, because I mean he, he did pretty much everything you'd want him to do. I mean, sure there were a couple of bad passes, but you know I mean, overall he was he was what you know, like I said seventy five percent of his uh, passes were complete, and you know he he showed the wheels again. He's healthy now. So uh yeah, I I think anybody would feel good about you know the, the the starting quarterback you know the rest mixed bag you know um Miller looked, had to, had some moments but he obviously is you know the number 2 guy you know and 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 yeah like you said there will be no two two QB system this this year uh it it's 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 live and die with AR Yeah I think that
0: Miller performed admirably let me say that I think that coming in and only having not even four months in the system, transferring Ohio State, and really kind of ascending over two guys that had more time in the building, in Carlos Del Rio Wilson and Jalen Kitna. He didn't look bad, completed 57% of his passes. He had that that one interception there. Um, I, I think that it would have been more concerning if Jack Miller had come out and looked as good as Anthony Richardson. Because then you're going to have this whole... I don't know if it's a controversy in a sense here, but you're going to have this talk of, I mean, hey, are they going to split reps going into fall? Is there going to be... No, now Anthony has a chance to go out with the wide receivers in the summer, work with those guys, and really grow as a leader you know not to say he's a quiet guy but he really is a reserved presence at times and they're going to need him to step into more of a vocal role and Mm -hmm. now that he's being propped up as the number one guy i think it's going to be easier for him to do that heading into summer and i think the entire team offensively will benefit as a whole if he can do that
1: yeah it's funny you know after the game we were all down there and they were gathering in the uh press area, you know, the, the, and, you know, Napier's up to giving his, his, his spiel for about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, the players are waiting, and, you know, Anthony was sitting over to the side, and I, I happened to just be one, of the, so I was sitting pretty close to him, and when Napier starts talking about, about him in the glowing terms he did, and I, you know, I, I could just, you know, maybe I'm just uh, hallucinating, but I could just sense he was, you know, it, he was almost speaking to Anthony and saying, you know, this is your team. You know, it's up. You know, you have to take responsibility. You have to be a leader. You know, and he's he's building him up to do this because. Let's. I mean, he's he's no longer you know just a kid from Gainesville High showing up on campus. He's been here two years now. He's 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 been out there uh, under the gun and all that. So, it, it's 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 him. I'm, it's funny. I remember when uh, the Gators won their '06 championship. The next day, you know, Leak was gone and and Urban had his press conference early that morning. Everybody was all. You know, hung over, including Urban, I think, and 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 Tebow, of course, was just the flashy kid that you know doing the, during the the the, uh, the the the, jump passes and all that. But nobody really know. And and somebody asked about the QB situation next year, and Urban says, "Oh, this is Tebow's team." Says, you know, and, da, 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 and you know he he made it plain, this is him. And of course, uh, it was Tebow's team for the next three years, and I think that. that not that there's a question, but for him to say that, and I think it resonated with Anthony. And you know, conversely, I think it. And he, it, we have, we'll bring up the. It's not really elephant in the room. Let's say it's called the the, the dodge in the room. You know <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. That that uh, broke the next day about his speeding ticket. You know, and how I think, and he said as much you know, that he felt bad about, you know, because he's the face of the team, and the face of the team can't, you don't go off and do things that embarrass the, the the team. And, you know, arguably, if you're the face of the Florida football team, you're the face of the University of Florida.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point. I think that in the day of the transfer portal, you have less of a responsibility or a need as a head coach to come out there and be like, so and so is my guy moving forward, because you don't really need to make it such a premature commitment mm-hmm. to someone who maybe is going to let you down, and now you look disingenuous in a sense here. They know that now that spring has been completed, that Anthony Richardson is going to go into the summer as the guy. So it makes complete sense for Napier to say what he did about him at the conclusion of spring. You brought up the speeding ticket that came out, so we got to, of course, talk about it. For those who don't know, Anthony Richardson was ticketed for going 105 miles per hour in a 60-mile-per-hour zone on April 4th about 10 days.
1: Yeah, the Monday night before the, uh, Monday week before the game. The week before
0: the game, 10 days before the game, and uh, he did tell UF's coaching staff uh, about this ahead of time, so they didn't get blindsided by the headlines. I don't think his teammates all knew the situation. Again, this wasn't like the guy is going to face criminal charges. I think we got to make that really clear here. He's not going to face anything more than going in front of a judge paying a fine and, and getting a couple points on his license. I think making that stipulation is really important because anytime you see the headline of 105 miles per hour especially after we have had a rash of high profile high speed incidents that have at times ended in death not to you know bring up Henry Ruggs and anything yeah. but I think a lot of people are just more concerned right now about players with a lot to lose going at a high rate of speed and so you're having Florida fans clearly I think upset at the situation worried about Richardson's safety worried about him putting himself at risk and there was a situation here 15 years ago involving Dante Anderson uh, star at Eastside High School the same high school that Richardson went to who lost his life in a crash right outside this uh, Gainesville Sun building so I think that based on the context you're seeing a player who just got a speeding ticket facing a lot of criticism because of the pedestal that Napier put him on because of the circumstances surrounding what has happened in Gainesville and because of how much Richardson has to lose based on what we just saw. Uh, it, it's become a storyline
1: after the game now. Oh, and as well it should have. You know, there's a lot of pushback that, oh, you know, he... It was just a speeding ticket. You know, it wouldn't been news... It shouldn't have been news. It was a non-story. Well, and and, yeah, I wrote this. That that, yeah, had had I been speeding, you been speeding, it wouldn't have been news. Or you know, ninety-nine point nine percent of the fans out there, it wouldn't have been news. But if it's the starting quarterback at the University of Florida doing one hundred five in a sixty-mile-an-hour speed zone, it's news. It, It you know, for better or worse, what you do. Is magnified at the university if, if you're the starting quarterback at right? Florida. That's just that's and the truth. And, well, and it's not just. I mean, any celebrity, you know, if, if you know if if Joe Schmo, you know, uh, gets arrested for, for whatever, you know, it, it's it's a big. If, if Ron DeSantis does, it's, it's it all just depends on the amount of interest people have in this person. And there's an incredible amount of interest in what Anthony Richardson does, pro and con. And it's just part of the responsibility of being the starting quarterback at the University of Florida. Yeah, and I think yeah, you know, he realizes that now. It was it was a good hard learning lesson for him to go through this, and yeah, and it wasn't like people said it was just a ticket. No, you know when as you mentioned, you know doing one hundred five is is not just a speeding ticket. That's that's danger zone. I mean, yeah. it, you, know, you mentioned Henry Ruggs. It, you know, Ruggs was somewhat different because he was one hundred fifty and he was drunk. Anthony Richardson wasn't drunk, but. You don't – it really doesn't matter. I mean, I I remember Jerome Brown, you know, one of the greatest defensive players ever. Yeah, he – he died in a car in the in a in middle of the day in a in a Corvette in first. In, he wasn't you know, it's just it, it you're just so close to a total catastrophe when you're driving one hundred five. And you know, we've we've all been kids and you know, at nineteen, I you know I don't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't drive one hundred five because my car wouldn't go that fast, but I did stupid things at nineteen. But I wasn't the starting quarterback at the University of Florida either. Yeah,
0: you had the yeah. anonymity that Richardson yeah. doesn't have, and he spoke, Richardson did to Gators Online about the citation and, and taking ownership of it and how he felt about the headlines that came out. And he said that ultimately he does like being in the situation he's in because it makes him walk the straight and narrow and holds him to a higher standard. And I think that that message should reassure a lot of people that he does plan on learning from his mistake and, and doesn't plan on making this uh, a habit of putting himself in these situations and, and
1: just yeah. being at risk. Well, the, the fact that There was no real harm done made this a good lesson. Agreed. You know, had had he lost control, or you know, God forbid, hit somebody, it, you know, would would not have been a good. And he, he would have learned his lesson the hard way. Yeah, and he'd be in jail now. Yeah. So, and I think he realizes that too, because you know, you can lecture a 19, you know kid for forever, and you know, they had Sometimes you just have to go out and and learn things the hard way. And that and he did, but without any real consequence that could have come with it.
0: Yeah, and all you can ask is that he expresses remorse and yeah. shows that he's going to move on from it, and then assess how they do in the future. So we will certainly continue to monitor how Anthony Richardson does on and off the field fair or not that is just like you said the pedestal that you were on when you were under the spotlight at the University of Florida we are going to take this first break when we come back we're going to talk a little more spring game mainly the defense what we saw out of some guys like Jalen Kimber Jordan Young some guys who impressed as well as those middle linebackers and in the final segment we're going to talk basketball recap Florida gymnastics being the runner up in the national championship we'll be right back after this break USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else.
1: We have reporters and
0: columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests, To bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville to Palm Beach to Naples and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on any of our state news sites. We are back with the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall, joined to my left by David Whitley. And we're going to talk a little bit more of the orange and blue game, Billy Napier's first in Gainesville. In the first segment, we talked a lot about Anthony Richardson. He was the star of the show offensively. We did see some tight ends show out, so I don't Mm -hmm. want to forget about guys like Noah Keeter, Dante Zanders. Jaquavion Frazier's was really good, too. Maybe a number two wide receiver for Florida.
1: They could use somebody to step forward in that position, Yeah, for
0: sure. Certainly. Uh, Anytime you're... Winning a game 34-0, to zero, you're going to kind of think that there's going to be some undesirable defensive aspects, but I really did think, David, that there were some good things that the Gators can build off of defensively. i got to start with Jalen Kimber. That was a guy that I think went under the radar a little bit because he hadn't done much at Georgia, but a, f- a former four-star prospect, a top-ten corner in his class, and played in a program that just won the national championship. You know that he has a skill set. But was in an orange non-contact jersey for much of spring camp. Didn't really know how much he would be able to play in Thursday's game. He ended up looking fantastic.
1: He did, and it, he may have been, you know, the like you said, the stealth surprise of the spring. Because you know, anytime you get a, a guy with that kind of pedigree coming from a, a program like that, you figure, well, they're so stacked, you know, maybe he, he best He's just not getting a chance there, and he wants to go somewhere where he does get a chance. And you know it—it's not quite a plug-and-play situation, but you know they—they they needed help at corner, and you're right. I mean, his coverage skills were you know as, as good as anybody's out there, the, and for a guy who's just been here for six weeks, and and so that—that that was a pleasant surprise. It—it it is funny though, you know, there are a lot of individuals that look good on defense, but the collective, you go, man, thirty-four to nothing. It, yeah. it's just—it's just weird because there's there's a lot to feel good about, but then you're sort of scratching your head on how. Yeah, Trent Whittemore, have they tackled him yet? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. that's kind of Bailey Napier coming out and saying the Orange didn't really finish drives. But, you know, when you're a defender, you're trying to sit there and think like, oh, well, I had something to do with that. And, you know, another guy who certainly had something to do with the Orange getting shut out, I give Jordan Young a lot of credit. The star nickel corner position, whatever you want to call it, just star in my mind, has gotten a reputation for being notoriously difficult for guys to master in the transition from playing that outside corner position, which is what Young played as in his freshman season, comes over and plays star. Still some uncertainty why he was the one who got the majority of the action, because Trevez Johnson and Dakota Mitchell were two guys who were training at that position after Darius Perkins went down in spring camp there not dressed out for the spring mm-hmm. game. We don't know why. And Jordan Young, a guy who really hasn't played star is over there and he looked really really yeah. good. hadn't it, played wild. much of
1: anything. In fact, when he came yeah. up, you know, post game, I was I had to check says, "Who is this?" There were this? people, yeah,
0: there were people saying, who, yeah. who is this guy?" You know, and yeah. it, you know, no disrespect to Jordan, just it was his first appearance and I think it was a little bit unexpected because and this is a huge thing to mention, we really saw a coaching staff in spring that did not want to identify individual players unless they were asked about said individual player and then they obviously offered up some information but you didn't have coaches coming out and saying oh well jordan young no you all need to keep
1: an eye on him very, yeah, you very didn't get rarely that. they didn't they didn't go out of the way to put anybody yeah. out there and when you think about if uh you know Perkins, we don't know what his issue is, but you figure you know he'll be back for fall. Hopefully, he's on yeah. crutches.
0: I I yeah. don't know, man. Yeah.
1: Like, uh, that's it's hard to say. But if if all the if they get him back, you know, and and uh, Jaden Hill is back out there, you know, he was you know and he was a starting cornerback last year till he blew out his knee in, yeah. in preseason. Mm. If he gets back to, you know, he still has, uh, he he went overly impressive. I mean, he, but he he showed he can still. you know, it's a it's the work in progress, and he, and I think by. Fall camp he should be you know it'll be a year since his ACL so so it, you know arguably between him and and uh Jason Marshall you know and then they have you know if these other bodies come through and then like you said there's there's actual some depth in the secondary so you know you're thinking I right, they can work with that you know um and certainly there's been you know the safeties have had a, have had a rough career but you are seeing they're they're saying the right things and, and then you you're seeing glimpses that that they're getting you know Travez and, and Trey Dean that so between between them all you think are oh, there there's enough to work with defensively in the secondary uh that they can they can do it uh and you know then up front you know that, that's you know linebacker's okay defensive front um question mark
0: yeah interior of the defensive line i thought was a weakness in the game I thought Jalen Lee looked pretty good I thought Javon Dexter obviously we knew what right. we were going to get out of him but to have your middle linebackers I mean I guess you could spin it positively that you got some surefire tacklers in the middle of the field and Amari Bernie and Ventrell Miller two guys that combined for 18 tackles Amari Bernie led all tacklers in the spring game with 11 Ventrell had seven uh, I mean you, you take those guys two fifth year guys and Without them, Florida would really be, I think, in a difficult position because they're missing a, a really good nose tackle, yeah. and they are relying on two really good tacklers. And Amari Bernie has improved as a tackler. I think that that is important to note. There were some issues there early in his career, but he really has improved in that regard, but without those guys... Florida would be yeah. in a lot more trouble. You are going to see them go for a defensive uh, tackle uh, here. Yeah,
1: yeah, two words: like that. transfer yeah. portal.
0: Yeah, got to got to get a a fix in there.
1: Yeah. Well, Napier said that what they're going to bring in, you know, a dozen guys he thinks yeah. through the transfer portal, and uh, so I, this next week, you know, between now and may first, it, it's going to be, you know, you are know, going to you are going to need need a program to keep up. You know some numbers, So not QR codes like UCF. Yeah, that, But back on it, but some, it's a good distraction, it, yeah, right? Yeah, it's gonna, it's it's gonna, there's gonna be some some personnel uh, changes, and, and they're out there, I'm sure, drumming up the portal because you know like we talked last week. You know they they had they, they bought in two ready-made defensive tackles last year, and they played, you know from uh, with Valentino and Newkirk, and that they took care of one. You say they could use a, a couple of guys like that this year.
0: Yeah, I think that you can't do that year in and year out, go in and go get a transfer portal guide. That's going to be a defensive tackle and then you don't identify the position on the recruiting trail, because then again, the next year you're going to do the same thing. Florida really has had to do that. They've had to go in and get defensive tackles year in and year out, really since they had to go out there and get Adam Schuler from West Virginia right before the season, plugged him in, then he ends up being an NFL player. And now the year after that, Antonio Valentino, Daquan Newkirk, Mm -hmm. you're going on another year where they're going to have to do that. I think it's more
1: more worrisome before because you're dealing with a staff that had been in 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 here, a regime, as we say, for you know a couple of years, and they should have had the recruiting pipeline set up to where they didn 't have to go do the plug and play thing now, I mean Napier really has no choice, yeah, uh, and if he's doing this in two years, I think you know that 's a red flag for sure, but for now, I mean basically you know right right in front they're in survival mode, and you know if, if there are a couple of lifeboats out there, you 're going to grab them.
0: yeah, and he certainly could maybe go find some diamonds in the rough in a form of a walk-on. We got to talk about the walk-ons real quick here before we take this final break, because some of them really did, I think show out in the spring game. I mentioned him right before we started this segment, Noah Keeter, a guy who out of UHoltz, a local guy, six foot five played weak side, defensive end goes out there outside linebacker, goes to UCLA top five school. You know, you got to have those good grades to get in there really isn't getting the in time he's thinking that he's going to get doesn't have an opportunity and transfers back to Gainesville to join the Gators as a preferred walk on prior to last season. Now, gets one of the, he's one of those guys moved to tight end yeah. with Dante Sanders and Griffin McDowell. I don't know if he ends up getting put on scholarship, but the way he looked throughout the spring and then catching a pass, he caught the longest pass of the spring game, a 29-yarder down the right sideline there from Richardson, he could be brought on scholarship. I mean, that's one that you have to watch out for because you can't due to numbers just go out there and get as many transfer portal guys as, as you want, and say, "Oh, you're going to get a scholarship." They're going to have to take some walk-ons who so can play here too.
1: Yeah, that, that whole tight end thing sort of got turned on its head in the last week because we were thinking, "Oh, they, you know, there's, there's Zipper and nobody," yeah. which was pretty much the case. And you right, I mean, Xander's, you know, Napier said he's the story of the spring because yeah. you know he's arguably they're starting tight end now. He got ahead of Zipper. I mean, he he looked like you know a guy had been playing that position for years, right? And the fact that you know that was such a glaring need, and now you' you're feeling, oh okay, maybe you know it, it's not that that big of a concern. I mean that you always want to get better, but between him and the they've signed a couple of, of young tight ends. You know, that are coming in, that uh, they can that that won't be a, a weak spot anyway.
0: Yeah, it looks less glaring of a weakness right now coming out of the spring game than it did when we got the news that Gage Wilcox, Nick Elksness, Jonathan Odom went down. A trio of guys all got injured. When I spoke to Dante Sanders, I talked to him. That's on Gatorsports.com and in the Gainesville Sun. He said he was baffled to see three guys go down in quick succession. You just don't really see that too much. Maybe it's a sign that the practices were a little bit more physical mm-hmm. under the new regime, but that's just you don't see that mm-hmm. very often. Three guys in
1: one room. And I know. He took advantage of that. Oh, sure, sure. He, I mean, he did, but even though, you know, you hear guys switching positions all the time, but he, just for him to look so so natural at it was a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, because what well, he, he was he had, doing he had played so, it for yeah, a couple he had, of years, but he had played on that, yeah.
0: not too long. He said yeah. he hadn't gone out and caught a pass since changing back to defensive <laughs> line. I mean, <laughs> yeah. didn't go out there, work on his routes, work with a jugs machine. I mean, he was, was strictly working on his defensive line skills. I yeah. mean, very... Unlikely.
1: Yeah, you know, the other uh, walk on that caught my eye was was the kicker. Adam Mahalik, yes. I mean, holy goodness, you know, uh, kicking has been as obviously not not exactly a strength the last year. No. And uh, for him, he didn't, he obviously doesn't have a great leg, but it looks like he has an accurate leg.
0: Yeah. And Chris Howard comes back, and I think a lot of people were thinking that he would possibly challenge Trey Smack, the freshman arriving coming on campus here in summer for the job. And then you get Adam Mihalik who goes out. Well, first, wait, let's backtrack. Howard misses a 32-yarder, which, I mean... Man, mm-hmm. playing you, your own that, team, yeah. no circumstances, a thirty-two yard chip shot. I mean, that's like an extra
1: point in the yeah, NFL, man. That, that's, wor- that's 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 worrisome. Mean, and you're thinking, yeah. you're and you're Hate and, to diss him, but. and we hadn't seen anybody else. So you're looking down the thing and says, you know, who is Mahalik? Who are all the? But you know, Mahalik came in and he, you know made a fifty-two yarder. You know, barely, but a, that's a fifty-two yarder. Anybody, if you know. Any coach would love to have a guy who's consistent from the 50 in yeah. or even the 40 in. Yeah. You know, if you get yeah. that, that's fine. And you know, Trace Mack, the the freshman who will be coming in, I mean, he's got a good leg. So you figure maybe he'll, he'll win the job, but at least you figure he's going to have to win it now.
0: Yeah. The combination of the leg and accuracy is the rare thing that puts kickers into the NFL and makes them desirable rather than just kind of roster pieces who can be moved around at any point in the season you may have that with Mahalik who is going to put the pressure on whoever that scholarship kicker is ahead of him, whether it's Howard, whether it's Trey Smack. I mean, knowing you have a guy who hit a 52-yarder, which ties the longest field goal in Orange and Blue game history. Chris Hetland hit one in 2006 from 52, and Eddie Pinheiro hit one from 52 yards out in 2016. And now the walk on adam Mihalik, is in that elite company not only did he hit a 52 yarder he followed it up by hitting a 49 yard yeah. field goal i mean just incredibly impressive to do that uh, you you may have made a case that you're going to be the guy that they're going to give a look to and uh, a walk on kicker that is pretty unlikely you got to say that's that's very impressive to me yeah uh,
1: and you know, like we said that that was a concern and it, and we we will see but you know, at least a guy they you figure they they Got to have a guy who can make the 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 ones you have to make. I mean, fifty and over, yeah, you want to make You'll it. You'll take but, those, but, yeah. But 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 fifty and in certainly forty yeah. and in, you have to have those, yeah. They can and be they, decisive. Yeah, and you know, you could even have a, a dual kicking situation if, if Smack, you know, if, if you have got the good leg, oh, he, he can handle the kickoffs. Two-kicker system, I like yeah. it. Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah,
0: because Mahalik did struggle. Yeah. In yeah kickoffs. They, don't, they don't have
1: a guy who can boom the ball. Yeah.
0: They they need someone, you know, Jace Chrisman, I thought, had a really good leg. He he hit a 60 yarder at pro day, but he kind of wasn't great on field goals. That's what led to Chris Howard kind of having a shot. In there, and and now you may have a situation where Trey Smack or Howard has to do kickoffs, and maybe Mahalik is your 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 long shot guy when you have a a chance. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk long shots in a different sport. We're going to talk men's basketball when we come back. Roster moves when we take this final break. There have been a lot of them, David. There have been a lot of them. I hope you've been following along because this team looks incredibly different than. <laughs> than what you just saw out of this game. I heard they have a new coach. Yeah, they have a new coach. they got a few other pieces. But uh, we're going to talk about all that here when we take this final break. We'll be right back. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me.
1: Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon. But I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban. And I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning.
0: More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there.
1: He's the great quipster.
0: SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with the final segment of this episode of the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by David Whitley. Hola. And now we are going to be talking some Florida men's basketball, as well as a little gymnastics here at the end to recount how Fort Worth went for the Gators. But Todd Golden's first roster in Gainesville is really starting to take shape. To recount, last week, the Gators added Will Richard, at a Belmont University, the first edition for Todd Golden, but he wasn't done there. This past week, he got Alex Fudge, the LSU transfer, a Jacksonville native, as well as a commitment from Colin Castleton. I think that you look at those first three editions right there, that is a very, very strong start, getting your low post threat, and then two guys who were considered to be two of the top 15 or so transfers on the market right now, and now you get both of them along with Castleton back in Gainesville.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, of course, Castleton was, was the foundational piece. And with him, when he came back, I don't want to say it was all gravy from there, but it, it sure made made uh, everything after that easier. And, I, and, 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 you know, talent wants to play with talent. And knowing that Castleton is there, that, that doesn't help when he, Todd Goldman goes out and pitches and said, hey, you know, we've got arguably the best low post man in the SEC coming back. You want to play with him.
0: It, it certainly helps the recruiting push to to say, hey, listen, look at who you're going to have alongside you, especially if you're going to play the four spot. We're going to have a guy that is going to be able to work as a pick-and-roll guy and also be a defensive threat on the other end. That is just a huge selling point for a lot of these guys. You know, A 6'8 wing, like Alex Fudge, there are some guys that size that are pushed to play the four spot rather than play on the wing, where they probably are going to play at the at the next level if they make it there. So a lot of these six eight six seven forwards are resisting being put at that four spot. So when you can get guys who are willing to play the four, you have a better chance of adding wings like Fudge. Yeah. I think that was a huge thing, as well as the proximity. Those things combined, as well as Todd Golden's
1: system. Uh, yeah, you got
0: to think that's a huge
1: yeah, reason. And, and Fudge is you know, intriguing because he, you know, he didn't didn't have the great just a freshman, year, but he's one of those guys you look at and you just see the big P word potential. And that's what you know get, had got him to LSU, and that's why he was such a highly ranked guy, in the in the, in the transfer portal because, you know, you're, you're just seeing this is the kind of guy if he develops who who has NBA potential, uh, and he's not proven yet. But but you know it was, I mean LSU was a pretty good team last year. You I mean, probably you know they they were stacked and and he, and going away and all that. But you know that's that's one thing about the transfer portal is, is that you know he. He went there, but I would suspect, you know, being from Jacksonville, when you get in Transfer Portal, you one place you're gonna look right away is is somewhere where you have a relationship. Yeah, and somewhere where you know it's close to home. And and so I think Florida came up and and you know it fit it fit with him and, and actually we went to the same high school too in yeah. Jacksonville. Yes. Oh wow R- Robert E. Lee High School. Right there. Wow. You know, which is they had to change its name Yeah, last they gotta, year, change, but, but, gotta do but, that. But we both graduated as Robert E. Lee. Wow. So forgive us no, people. I, I but, think uh, that
0: you'll get a pass for that out yeah, of your yeah, control. But yeah. you know, they now have Fudge in their control. Yeah. That's a huge thing for Todd Golden. I think for him, not getting away from the SEC was something that had to be very desirable. I mean, you don't want to lower your competition so that then they can knock you for the competition you yeah. played against in a couple of years. He certainly was not the only addition that we have seen recently. On Monday night, uh, this was a kind of surprising one to me, but he did take an official visit. But anytime you see someone commit from the key debts, of the virginia military institute you can kind of be like okay is he able to make it in the sec and then you see he's six feet 170 that's trey bonham yeah he committed to the gators on monday afternoon his transfer has now been finalized as of tuesday morning he gives florida a a guy heading into his junior year who in his two years with vmi started 31 games looked really really good in most of those appearances. He averaged more than a steal a game. He's able to do it all. Good three-point shooter, good from the free throw line, and I think would fit really good in the high tempo system that Todd Golden is looking to run. How well he will adjust to the competition, like I said, remains to be seen, but an intriguing addition for the Gators. And now they do have their point guard. Yeah. He's expected to have a chance to be the starting point guard
1: next year. Yeah, and the things you mentioned the the three point Efficiency and the free throw efficiency. I'm sure that made the light bulb go off in in Golden's mind because he is Mister Analytics, and that yeah. you know that that's what he was in college. You know? right. He realized this is how, how how I'm going to make my mark, is, and and he he realized and this is the kind of player exactly what he's looking for. And you're right, the, the step up from mid major to to SEC to power power five. You never know. I mean, it, it, you're stepping up, but this guy's played two years, and you know, I mean, unlike you know Fudge, who looks potential, this guy has been on the court, and his and his stats are good, yeah, decent. And it's it's an area of need, you know, a, a point guard, and uh, he, I think, we'll see a lot of him this fall.
0: I think so too. Two guys that we won't see a lot of this fall are two incoming freshmen that the Gators signed back in November. The first we've talked about, Malik Reno. He, the Hialeah native who transferred to IMG Academy, he opened up his commitment after initially saying that he was 110% committed to the Gators. He now has decided to go to Indiana University. I hear he's 112% committed to the Hoosiers. That may make the difference. That extra 2%, Coach Mike Woodson up there, Indiana, now has a five-star signee in Malik. And Florida's other forward signee, Jalen Reed, the 6'10 forward, he now... He's playing out there in California, actually. He now is opening up his recruitment. He announced Monday night that he was going to look elsewhere, and the Gators had released him from his signed letter of intent. Although he did specify that Florida remains an option. He got a little bit of backlash from that decision, considering it's so late. Signing day is is already passed for or it's gonna be on Wednesday, so one more day. And a lot of programs have already made their official decisions with roster moves and so his mom went out on social media today and said why is it when a kid wants to see other options it's such a bad thing why does everyone assume because of other players after the addition of Trey Bonham one thing about my kid trust him believe him he doesn't worry about the next man I've always told him handle his business and you're good so you're so, having now a situation where a young kid is competing with all these transfer portal guys, and after signing to a program six months ago, he's now looking for a new home. I mean, so much has changed in the Florida program. I think that he deserves the right sure. to do that. The timing may be undesirable, but uh, it is his timeline, ultimately.
1: Oh, sure. And uh, this is the, the chance you take when you have a change of regime. There's the plus and there's the minus. You know, he signed you know with the with Mike White. And he had a relationship there. And I'm sure that Todd Golden has tried to build a relationship quickly. But you know, apparently you know, he, he couldn't quite play the Prince Charming role to, to the necessary degree. So the kid, for whatever reason, you know, he, he, he has every right to say, I may not be happy there and look around. It's like anybody, if you're looking at it, you know, you're interviewing for a job and you have you – you just you committed to the one thing. But then you see, well, gosh, they bought in three other guys who, who might be as good as me or better. And my cubicle is getting pushed further and further down the row said, yeah, maybe I want to go somewhere else. Yeah. So no harm looking around. I and, mean, of course, his mom's going to say that. You know, uh, if, if she wasn't, she wouldn't have been a good mom. But, <laughs> but I mean, she, she spoke the truth, too. I mean, let the guy look around. And he didn't shut it down. And, you know, if, if he can come in and, and Todd Golden can sell him on it, well, okay. If not, you know, case That that That's just the downside for the, with the proverbial regime change.
0: Yeah, there's going to be competition also no matter what level you're at in basketball, football, you name it, and to say that someone is so-and-so scared of the talent coming in, I, I've never really bought that too much because it, it just doesn't really fly for me.
1: Well, not not for, that's not the kind of guy you want to sign. Yeah, yeah.
0: right? And if, yeah. If, that is, if they're scared by the competition, then it's kind of like, okay, well, you've mm-hmm. saved us a big headache down the line. So that is going to be two players, two players that are not going to make it to Gainesville that six months ago looked like that they were going to be part... Of Mike White's signing class, and now they're not going to be joining Todd Golden unless Reed does decide to come back to Gainesville. We got to include that. That is still an option. You know, we just saw that with Amarius Mims, uh, the number one Mm -hmm. transfer portal target in college football, deciding to go back to Georgia after flirting with FSU in Miami. So it's certainly a possibility that Jalen sees what all is out there and opts to come back. We saw what the Florida gymnastics team had out there. In Fort Worth, Texas, and it unfortunately was not enough to win the national championship. If you watched on Saturday, the Gators were one of the final four teams facing off against Utah, Auburn, and Oklahoma. The number one seed Sooners started at the bottom of the rankings after the first rotation. They were in fourth before winning the next three events, posting the, the highest scores in the next three events, to come from behind and win the 2022 National Championship. That's the fifth title in program history for the Oklahoma Sooners. It was so close for Florida, though. Mm-hmm. Trinity Thomas had a 10 on floor, it was fantastic all season long, her 12th 10 in the season, but
1: uh, the Sooners were just a yeah. little bit better. Yeah, you know, when you look at the Florida program, the past few NCAAs, they had to the come away feeling, you know, we blew it. And to a certain extent or we didn't come through uh I, you know you want to say that they choked but you know 2 years ago they didn't even make make the final four for the first like the second time in I don't know, 32 years uh you know and and last year they fell off the beam and it was things just didn't work out well and you can come back and and they could kick themselves this time I think it was different I think they went out there and they, they really, I don't want to say play, I, it's always hard to find the verb for them, gymnasticized well, you know, pretty pretty well. But they Oklahoma was just a better team. Slightly better, yeah. but it, it wasn't one of those things where Florida lost it as Oklahoma won it.
0: Yeah, it was their first loss of the season and obviously the worst worst timing mm-hmm. for the Florida team. That is going to do it, though, for us, for this episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. We will be back in the near future to keep talking Florida offseason baseball we didn't even get to baseball today because it really has been kind of down in the dumps in yeah a sense we, we don't want to be negative but yeah we don't want to be too negative and, and be labeled those negative journalists out there that you all hate so much but we will be back pretty soon to talk more Florida Gators thank you for listening take care